0: I love working with the mind and, making it more fluid and flexible versus so set and black and white. And I think a lot of times our teens, it's either right or wrong. There's never any in between. And I think we've got to use the word sometimes more and we have to help them exercise their mind to be flexible thinkers. So when crises happens, they are ready to cope with the situation.
1: Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board-certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Powell and Dr. Samira Arman, also known as the PD Pals, as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at the PD Pals or find us online at www.thepdpals.com.
2: Welcome to another episode of The Well Child. We are so grateful to have our wonderful PD Pals community tuning in once again. Today we have a very special episode for you. This one is definitely one that parents should not miss. Today we have a very special guest, her name is Rina Patel. She is a renowned parenting expert, licensed educational psychologist. She's had more than 20 years of experience, and she's been working with families and children, supporting all aspects of education, mental health, and positive wellness. She's been working extensively with typically developing children, as well as children with exceptional needs, supporting their academic, behavioral, and social and emotional development. We were really excited to see that she even works with children with autism and other special needs. So we're really excited to learn from her today and chat with her and hope Hopefully, she'll be a great resource for the PDPals Pals community. So welcome, Rina.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. We're thank you so, so much. <laughs> Tell us everything you know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I start? And then, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> evolving, right? So much.
2: Yeah, this is, um, we definitely... Um, did this podcast to be a resource for parents. And we wanted to have experts in all areas of pediatrics because as you know, it's so much more than just the doctor's office visit, just, you know, there's so many things that are involved in raising children. And we actually connected on clubhouse, um, as well as on Instagram. And so we just love all the work that you do in educating parents. And we'd, we'd love it. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, share a little bit with our, with our listeners
0: uh, thanks, Anna, and I think I think it's so important. Well, you did a great job introducing me, so I won't spend too much time talking about myself. But it doesn't it take a village. I mean, when I think about um, just taking just the umbrella of support a child needs. It is a multidisciplinary team, really. You just have to have it all. And it's hard for a parent to be that one person. And it's okay to seek out help and get a support team um, because it is so important. And children, um, you know, it's so funny because parents would often say, well, once I get through this stage, it's going to get a lot easier. And I always tell them, I think parenting is an endurance test. It's not like you're hitting a finish line Every, every time because um, toddler years or infancy is just as difficult as teenagers and having young adults. I mean, the, the stress level, um, it's still there. It, you're, you still worry about your child and you're only as happy as you're sad as child. And so, I think it's important um, that, uh, you know, for me, I continue to grow professionally. I'm a mom myself. I think what makes me so relatable is the fact that um, I never recommend anything. Um, Everything is always data-driven, empirically based on science. We've talked about through this pandemic how science is really so important. It's the foundation of what we do um, when we make recommendations, right? Any type of recommendations. But I never Um, offer anything or suggest anything unless I haven't tried it on my own children. Um, They're my guinea pigs, um, but I did go into the field. I was 23 years old when I landed my first job um, pre-children, you know, pre-kids. And I remember uh, making recommendations to parents and they, just from the books, I would just, you know, oh, you have to do it this way because this theorist says, and this is how it's recommended. And parents would look at me and say, you're crazy. It's never going to work like that. And um, so um, there is uh, a lot of uh, understanding that takes place when you make recommendations, when you want to help families, uh, no matter who your child is, um, you have to have an open mind. And, and parents, um, you have to take that pause and give yourself permission um, to make mistakes and um, take a moment and try things uh, for a little bit of time. Of course, nothing is a quick fix in this world.
1: I love that. You nailed it on
0: the head because that is so
1: absolutely true. And I have had the same experience. I was a doctor before kids and then I had kids and then I was
2: like, oh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes, I see how it goes. And I always tell that to my patients too, that, you know, it's until you have this being that wants to do what they want to do, you don't really, you know, it's, it gives you, it's very humbling. We'll put it that way. And I don't know if you feel that this way personally as well, Rena, but I also feel each subsequent child makes you feel like a first time parent all over again. You have this false sense of security, like I've already been a parent, I know what to do. And then this other child comes in with a whole other handful of issues. And every time you're just kind of like, oh, I didn't I didn't know what to do with this one now because she has a different personality and she reacts differently to this situation. You have to adjust your parenting style for the different child. So it's just a complex, marathon, as you put it. So I completely agree with you. And I love it. I mean, I already feel like you started everything off on such a true and poignant point.
0: <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And I agree. Children have different temperaments. It's amazing to think that we're uh, one person and we give birth to potentially multiple children and they're all so different, right? Huh. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of my, my main questions
1: for you, I really want to make sure because right now, parenting was already challenging. And you talked about this village, which is so important. Well, we can't have a village because we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're trying to socially distance. So what have you noticed from your bird's eye view and in the last year? And how has this affected families and kids? And
0: has there been anything
1: for you that, that has been really interesting or data driven?
0: You know, it's just this um, isolation, right? This feeling of um, being alone. And what I've really just observed, and this is a lot to do with um, being a behavior analyst. I mean, I spent years studying human behavior and, I, and it's so fascinating. And um, we're creatures of habit and we're creatures of uh, needing some type of interaction, physical interaction. <laughs> and I think um, that um, being taken away from us has really attributed and increased um, just uh, some of the challenges. Uh, Mental health, for example, um, across the board. Uh, I've, I've got an uptick of cases and children who present with anxiety, um, depression, anxiety especially, because um, everyone is just high, strong, again, anticipation of the unknown. Um, and um, things have automatically been taken, swept under their feet, you know, from their feet, uh, extracurricular activities taken away, the things that parents are used to even themselves being able to do. Um, they're like, what's going on? Uh, I, I'm stuck at home. I have to work from home. Um, or I'm a frontline or essential worker. And then I come home and I've got my kids in front of me and they are asking me, they're bored, what to do. Um, You know, we're stuck in their room behind closed doors, having to wear masks. I mean, you name it. Huge adjustment. On top of that, I'm seeing um, secondary trauma. Right, so you may not directly be experiencing um, something, but just look watching the media or hearing for days and hours on end of just all this negativity and you know from hate crime from this week, you know, just you name it. From the summer to um, some people not wanting to get vaccinated. (laughs) I mean, it's just um, endless. Wanting to come out of this and go back to what was normal. um I think um has caused a lot of um extra worry, a lot of um mental wellness issues. And I think that's just been really my focus is helping. Um families and and clients really optimize and cultivate what they do have what you can control and that's really my biggest recommendation I I tell um, even teenagers that I work with is let's focus on what you can do versus what you don't have and you can't do because that's just going to be evolving cycle and you're just going to spiral down.
2: That's um, really, really great advice. I mean, I, me and Sammy talk about this on the daily. You know, we are seeing patients um, and we're seeing them for their regular checkups. And we usually do a mental health questionnaire with every visit, and it has been through the roof. I mean, I can tell you that on the daily, I'm seeing children with anxiety, with trouble sleeping, with depression. I mean, it's, it's really infiltrating, I think, especially the teenagers, like, like you mentioned, and it's really challenging for us because there's, like you said, there's a lot of factors that we can't control. Um, But there are some factors that we try to empower parents that they can do, you know, Um, because right now I think their routines are all off. And especially with teenagers, they're kind of left to their own devices. You know, when it comes to virtual learning, you know, they're more self-sufficient. So I feel like sometimes the focus gets off of them a little bit, right? Um, Because parents have to work, they have to work from home, they have to leave work. So um, it it is very, it's been very difficult. And and you completely hit the nail on the head on that one. Um, Something that we've been talking a lot about is trying to create a routine, um, Mm -hmm. like similar to that of school, um, especially setting limits in terms of screen time, because, you know, teenagers are on social media or on their phones, their iPads, computers. So I think that's all contributing to this, um, what are some tips that you offer your teens and their parents on how they can manage, especially with virtual learning and being at home all the time? How can they manage some of these anxieties? That's
0: it. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question. And, and I know the World Health Organization, and, and you both know this, has a set number of hours per developmental age uh, for, for screen time, but everything went out the door when all of academics and everything, and, and just even connections with with other friends and family members is all via digital platform. And so, I know that it's just uh, it's a must do when it comes to academic learning and um, getting together. Let's say with friends and trying to connect. Yes, that's okay. But anything else, let's just put aside. And so find that appropriate balance. But the one thing I want to tell parents is teenagers want to be in control. They want to have say. So have that open dialogue with them. Get their opinion and insight first before making a demand, because you don't want to get into a power struggle. And um, be honest with them. Just say that, you know, there's so much research out there that is showing us social media, especially is attributing to um, giving you that that downer, giving pulling you down. And there's so many, it's it's addicting. It's just like any other addiction. It can be addicting and you need to be able to step away. You have to do those exercises where you can step away and not feel like you need, um, you know, you fear like you're missing out or you need to see what's happening. Um, and then find other platforms. If you are going to be on social media, is it always going to be on TikTok? Is it always going to be on Instagram? I mean, there's some other platforms that you can do um, that will bring... Uh, some positivity you know it doesn't have to be always um there's some great volunteer opportunities online that you can engage in i mean there's so much research in the field of positive psychology uh that shows when you do something for someone else or contributing to a community or something other than yourself that leads to long-term internal happiness and so again that's something that i recommend even for my own kids uh and try one thing to do is think about is Finding ways to motivate your child. And it doesn't just have to be your teens, but coming up with a family new hobby, something different, something new, um, because that excitement of motivation will come. um, So it's not the same old, same old routine every day. So when you're creating a home schedule, have a question mark or a mystery thing, and then come up with something that um, might be fun, um, unique. Uh, Maybe it's a a different board game, or maybe it's um, a different way of playing cards, or some going out and taking a different path for a hike or something that you know that would be enticing for your child, but it's something new, something different and I think that um, helps kind of the monotony of things. Yeah, I agree. I think um, being creative and that's one of
1: the things where you know online really does, give you a lot of great ideas. There's so many ways now that you can look up different things that you can do. Like my kids love to play restaurants. So we have what we call via familia. (laughs) Somebody is the chef and somebody is the waitress and somebody is the whatever. And we have candlelight dinners and we feel like we went to a restaurant. But I'd like to... I love the advice that you've given and it immediately just made me think of every patient encounter I'm having these days and especially with the teenagers. And I I wanna make this obviously a discussion that's relevant to all ages, but right now I think to me, anecdotally, the teens seem to be suffering particularly more than the rest just because of how much their life in particular changed and how in those teen years, whether they're graduating or about to graduate, they have a lot of things going on and they were robbed of all those experiences in their lives. So I'm going to just say patient X, his name is Tina. This person doesn't exist, but she also does, if that makes sense. And she says that, you know, I just don't feel like doing anything. And then her mom is worried because she's anxious and she's having a lot of panic attacks. The panic attacks can be about everything and anything. And she cries all day and she cries at the drop of a hat. There's not necessarily anything that's happened that makes her cry. And uh, when I asked her what does your day to day entail? She says, I wake up, I have breakfast. I go online. I do my classes. I'm finished with my glasses classes. And then I, um, just hang out for the rest of the night. So that's yeah. their day every day. So what would you say? And you know, what would you say to that person or these families? Like, well, yeah. other, other than give back, which I love that idea, by the way, I mean, I'm yes. that's so good, but what else would you tell
0: them? Like, how would you <laughs> yeah. Well, the first thing I think parents need to hear is their their child isn't the only one who feels who who is going through that. You know, I my daughter is in the same boat. I mean, her anxiety she was already an individual who, um, we use that word perfectionist, you know, just an overachiever. We've got so many of them. Parents don't even put pressure on the, our kids and, and they want to excel. I mean, these activists, these people, like what? And then um, we have to remember being online isn't 100% equal to being in-class instruction. And everyone has a different learning modality and and so already they're struggling and they're probably not happy with their outcome, how they're performing with online learning. Um, it, it's not easy, it's difficult. Teachers can't gauge, they can't, you know, it's just a whole different ballgame. And so they've got that load on and then they're missing out on friendships, they're missing out on the physical interactions. And so um, the first thing I would do if this were even a client of mine is um, there's no such thing as nothing motivates me. I just believe that then we haven't found what it is. And so when they, I'm not interested. I don't want to do anything. And then I'd ask, oh, what does hanging out look like?" You know, I'd be like, "Tell me what does hanging out look like." And so is it they're listening to music or they're like just lying on their bed or or they're um, they're just um, stuck in their room. I want to make sure that they come out of their room. I think sunlight. There's so much research on sunlight and the importance and what it does to your body and and. And, um, you know, uh, we can talk uh, as experts. I mean, that individual serotonin levels are probably, uh, probably down. And so we've got to find ways, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of physical movement that increase. It's that natural high. It gives us, it brings us back. It's, it's a natural defense mechanism to when you are feeling down and when you are feeling stress. And so we've got to find ways to get and motivate um, that particular individual to just to get outside, because sometimes that's the first step is just remove your child from that enclosed environment. They're suffocating. They're feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't get out. And I'm just pushing, pushing myself down. At some point you're, I'm going to be this pressure cooker. Thus the panic attacks. And so that's one thing. The other thing is, um, oftentimes, kids uh, who feel that way um, have a lot of irrational thinking. Uh, they do the extreme, right? I'm never going to get out of this. We're going to be in this forever. No one likes me. I've lost all my friends. It's never going to go back to normal. I'm going to not get to go to prom again. I'm obviously not going to get to grad. If you're a senior, not to get to graduate. We have to remember that. Teach, sh- share with them um, that this is just a small blip. You know, and sometimes visually is better. I know every parent, everyone thinks that my child understands me when I communicate, but sometimes when you've got all of these things impeding your brain, everything's coming at you, it's hard to slowly process and unravel. And so heck, use a whiteboard, use a piece of paper, use whatever you want, use a diagram to share and show it to them that this is a pause and a greater, bigger, bigger picture. And that their dreams and their hopes of what they planned and wanted to do is it's just a speed bump. It's not a forever. And I think that's important to make sure that they understand. And sometimes you do have to use some type of visual. And I know it sounds... Why am I doing this with my teenager? But but I promise you, it's it's sometimes what they need because so much is coming at them that just a conversation and just generally saying that everything's gonna be okay or you're making a big deal or stop crying or stop panicking um, isn't isn't gonna work. And cognitive behavioral therapy is oftentimes something that I use and, um, but I, I generalized it and it's all over my social media and website on how to tackle a lot of my articles, um, on how to handle it. But I love, um, you know, I love working with the mind and making it more fluid and flexible versus so set and black and white. And I think a lot of times our teens, um, it's either, you know, right or wrong. There's never any in between. And I think we've got to use the word sometimes more. Um, And we have to help them exercise their mind to be flexible thinkers. So when crises happens, um, they are ready to cope with the situation.
2: Yeah, I I love that so much. I think what you just um, said there is so important. It's all about perspective, right? Um, Especially during the pandemic, you know, even us as adults, we often tend to go towards the negative. You know, we've been on the front lines during the pandemic and it's been really stressful and we've been focused on the negatives because, you know, it's been, it's a very, you know, unusual situation that we've been in. But just the other day, Sammy was saying, you know, you know we're not getting as sick as we were cuz as pediatricians we're constantly sick because we're okay. seeing kids from daycare so so that's where that perspective really comes in where we think okay wow you know kids aren't getting as sick as they were um you know daycare is taking precautions we're not having flu i mean of course the adults are really really struggling but um in the pediatric world we've been fortunate because we've mm-hmm. not had some of these other common illnesses so it's nice to enjoy that time for parents. And so that's where that perspective really comes in place. And I think we as adults forget this too, but what you're saying is so is so important and so true that we forget that perspective to be grateful for this extra time we have as a family. And, you know, we have extra time to do these home projects and we forget that. Um, and, you know, the teenagers too, I think a lot of teenagers that I talk to, it's, it's always doom. You know, it's always, this is the worst, time ever, you know, but teaching that perspective, I think is really, really important saying that, look, you know, uh, we're, we're, we can look at these positives during this time. So I love what you said during that, uh, you know, for that. Um, but another point that you mentioned, um, with regards to some of the stuff that's been happening. I just wanted to cycle back to the hate crimes and Black Lives Matter and some of the stuff and all this information that's coming to teenagers and young children. Um, do you have any tricks on how you advise parents to address some of these things? You know, news is very, very uh, doom and gloom. <laughs> and it's, it's very scary because children are trying to process this and they don't really have that perspective of what's going on. And I was just curious if you had any tips about that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've had a couple of articles that just came out about talking to your children about hate crime. And the thing is, is... Um Exposure is—you have to know where they're at. Um, and so, as, as as an adult, as parents, as an as professional, I always want you to check in first to see what they know. Don't over divulge. I feel like a running record sometimes when I say don't over divulge, but it's so true because we have a tendency to give them more information than they need, and to make sure it's developmentally appropriate. So, if you've got multiple children at home, you don't need to sit all three of the, you know, three, two or three, you know, with different ages, and try to have the same general conversation because their perception and their, the way they understand um, younger kids being concrete learners. As older they, you know, for 12, 13, they become abstract learners. And so you have to really under, know and who's on social media and who's not and who's really in front of the TV. Or are they playing in the next room and getting bits and pieces? And that's why you have to ask them, what, did it, what do you know? Tell me what you heard or what you saw. What do you think? And that's almost an informal assessment, right? An informal way to gather some information. And then talk about the facts. Don't skirt away from the facts. Um, just make it appropriate to their age. Um, uh, you know, if, if there's gun violence and they're shooting, yes, that was a bad guy. You know, for them, it's a bad guy. In their head, they're thinking bad guy, robber, someone who broke in. Yes, that's what happened and tried to hurt people. And there are rules. And there are rules to follow. And it's important. And there are consequences. I think children want to feel safe no matter how old they are and make, you know, know that they're protected and there are consequences and the why comes and sometimes you don't have the answer to a why. And as parents, it's okay to not know the information or to say, we're still trying to get more information. Um, Let's talk about this more later when we have more information or let's research it together if they're teens. Um, Our teens are such global citizens. They want to be activists and one of the things I tell people, who um, even my own children, who post things as a repost or a reshare, know the sources, fact check. You know, know what you're putting out there in the world. It's a digital imprint. It's gonna be there. Um, you know, put up even when you create a post. You were talking about George Floyd. If you create something, make sure it's something that's kind. It makes a difference. It's meaningful and impactful. Um, is it necessary to put out there in this digital digital world? Put it out. Make a post, but step away for about 30 seconds. Great adult advice, come back to it. If you're still good with it, okay, do it. And I think that's, um, those are just kind of, um, you know, social media etiquette, I think that um, we should all have um, when we kind of are jumping on this whole cancel culture um, phenomenon. So um, yeah, that's that's definitely my advice. And And it is attributing again to our our children's mental health. I think that's, you know, um, children are, um, it's interesting uh, going back to the patient that um, uh, Samir was talking about is that, Every child who may even didn't have a diagnosis of you know, generalized anxiety disorder, they don't have to. It's just that we're all on a higher level of stress and anxiety. And so our most strongest of kiddos are maybe feeling uneasy or being affected by some way. So it is important as parents for us to check in. Even if they're not presenting with anything, right? They could be internally dealing with something, and and just to lean in, um, um, you know, check in with their emotions. Let them know it's okay, whatever it is that they're feeling—frustrated, upset, sad. They don't even know why they're feeling or responding to a thing a certain way. I think it's important to. Just validate, empathize, listen. As parents, we love to problem solve. But I think it's important just to listen. Sometimes that's all they need. Um, And remind them that they have a safe place, judgment-free area in your house or place. Just come talk to me anytime. I won't judge you. Share with me what you're feeling. Um, It's interesting. When children are young, we have this internal habit as problem solvers. When they're crying, what do we say? We say, don't cry. And so right away, we're trying to shame them for, from exhibiting a certain type of emotion, right? Yeah, oh my gosh.
1: If there was a caption above my head right now, it would be like, yes, for every single word that you have uttered. <laughs> it's like nodding with enthusiasm and an agreement. I just love it. I think my favorite part of what you said was the part that it's okay for parents to say, I don't know. Um, and that you don't have to have all the answers, but if you're if you're just there and supporting your child, that's what they're going to remember. And it brought me back to a personal situation just a couple of months ago. My now 11 year old asked me a question, and even as a physician, a pediatrician, and you know, knowing what I know and being in the position that I am with the pandemic, she asked me something relative to the pandemic, and I said, "I don't know, honey. They, they don't. There's no chapter in what to expect. when You're expecting of this particular scenario. <laughs> I don't know what you should do, and I don't know how I should like because it was really a decision I had to make for her and her safety. And and I said, I don't know what to do. I've got to think about it, and we'll just have to come up with the best." You know, scenario that we feel is okay at the time. But I also really like that you said that if they feel safe, that's what that's what matters, and the con like showing them that consequences happen. And so I think a lot of times in the these children, whatever age they are, they're acting out because they don't feel safe. And if you remind them what you are doing as a family to keep them safe and yourself safe, it's a huge comfort for them. And, and um, I'm also curious, I'm about to change gears all the way. I'm so sorry, but I really wanted, I know you have such a special interest in autism. And so I really Mm. want to pick your brain a little bit about that as well. Uh, One, because I was curious what your thoughts were about Autism statistics now with the whole pandemic because certainly we've anecdotally seen some stuff, but there's not any data that's really been brought out yet. And I was just curious your thoughts as a as someone with special interest in it. And then really, if you had any advice for parents of autistic kids or special needs kids because they're they're struggling even more, I would say.
0: Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness, my ASD parents and families, hang in there. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we all feel you. And any parent who has a child with Exceptional needs. It has been such a difficult journey um, through this pandemic. Um, no services. I mean, it's not practical, let alone a neurotypical kiddo, a typical developing child, trying to do a Zoom class. Can you imagine trying to do that for a child with unique, you know, special needs? It's. Um, it can't happen. Um, a positive is that we are slowly, districts are slowly trying to, those are the first groups of kiddos who are coming back into school, um, trying to get um, all the services in place, um, behavioral support. Um, I have, you know, I started in the field of autism um, in the 90s, and I, at that time I was um uh, doing a discrete trial, LOVAS, all that stuff at UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Hospital as a graduate student. Didn't even know I was doing something called ABA, which is one of the biggest methodologies, the way way we teach children who um, have ASD. And I um, loved it. And I loved it was one in 600 was the prevalence. (laughs) And look where we are. Is it one in 67? now? (laughs) I I feel like, yes, the the data is different now. Um, But I do think that um, uh, there has a lot to do with, um, yes, there's a genetic component, scientific, I mean, I I really do feel that, to um, higher understanding in terms of um, identification and appropriate diagnosing, Um, although... I, this is my personal opinion. I wish the DSM, I mean, I wish we kept Asperger's syndrome and, and really just kept it separate. Um, and I'm getting very scientific, but I'm talking to two professionals. Um, but what I do want to share is uh, that the thing that I love about the population that I work with is how meaningful and simplistic happiness comes to them. And um, and if you're a family, um, and I've got a, a two nieces who are on the spectrum way after years after I've been practicing this for so long, is that um, just being with them and how simple um, life can be for them and they don't understand what's happening so much in this world, but the fact that their routine has changed and so forth. But um, when I think about working with individuals who are on the spectrum, and I've worked with 70-year-olds on the spectrum, is that I think that um, they find... um, happiness in the in the most simplest of things and I think we have to um, realize it's their dreams that we have to focus on Um, uh, sometimes with parents they want their child to socialize so much or they want them to attend a dance class or play guitar play soccer but sometimes it's your it's the parents dreams right for wanting them to drive or wanting them to go to college and sometimes we have to look at it what they they what's meaningful and purposeful for them And what is it that they want to do that will bring joy to their, their lives and let's get them there. And sometimes it, it, that's, you're going, when you have a child who is sometimes born with special needs, but sometimes you don't know it till later on till they're three or four and officially diagnosed, um, you as parents go through grief, right? We go through a loss, a loss of the child that we expected to have. And I think, um, it's very traumatizing. It's very um, upsetting, understandably. But as we go through those stages of grief and, at, and they come and go in waves, um, because it is a loss of what we thought we were going to have and the future dreams. But I think it's important to note that you still have a child there who um, who loves you, who's still affectionate, who's still... Um, has their own dreams, um, and so we want to make sure we um, do what we can to support that. And um, and for parents, you know connect with your support group, um, look for those online resources, connect with someone like me, um, to make sure we tap you into the appropriate, um, respite resources or whatever it is that you might need because it is out there. Um, but don't be so hot on yourself. If your child isn't getting exactly a hundred percent of what they can get, um, because we're all in that type of a situation. And, um, I know everyone, especially the schools, are doing the best that they can to um, get things, uh, you know, resources put in place. I know um, children on the spectrum, too, get um, a lot of home services sometimes through applied behavioral analysis. And um, some of them are in person. Some of them are virtual. But um, just do the best that you can. And and don't focus so much on what was happening in the past. And and we can get your kids back to where they need to be. It's just going to be a little unique, a little different. But um, yeah, and sometimes you're going to have to adjust uh, your expectations of what you've done because I know a lot of kids have regressed in general. And um, I think uh, it's okay because of where we are. There's just, again, going back to let's focus on what we can control versus what we can't.
2: Yeah, I'm so happy that you touched on some of the therapies and the options because we see this every day and, our, and we have such limited resources sometimes that our heart really, really does go out to these families with kids with special needs. And especially right now, I've seen, um, you know, therapies getting canceled and, you know, kids aren't able to uh, make their appointments in time and there are long waits. Um, and so the, the struggle is definitely there. Um, but what I love what you said about children with special needs and autism and their gauge for happiness—I love that so much because we tend to forget that, right? Um, and a lot of the a lot of the stress and the anxiety that I see in children with autism um, or special needs is just their. Um, inability to be able to communicate what they're saying, you know, Um, their ability to express. It's something so simple, right? And as parents and as medical providers, we really Uh, You know, we just want to be there. We want them to have, we want them to have unlimited potential. And it's something so simple, just the ability to express themselves and how they're feeling at that time. And that's, I think the crux of of autism for me, from what I've noticed is, is what these children struggle with. And Mm -hmm. the one thing I try to emphasize with families is that the earlier you start, the earlier you recognize um, applied behavioral analysis, which you mentioned is, is so, so important because I've we've seen children just mm. completely, um, you know, do a 180 and um, get so much benefit out of that. So if there's one thing that I try to tell parents is that, um, you know, the therapies are never going to hurt, <laughs> you know, if, right. if all of a sudden, if your child is showing early signs of speech delay uh, or, you know, we're not sure, because as you mentioned, there's a gray area. When we look at the diagnosis, there's a yeah. lot of gray areas, but um, I think the, therapies Earth, are only going months. to help them
0: yeah so that 18 exactly. month mark and it's interesting I, I talk to a lot of parents it's um and I and I feel like they know deep down something's off does that make sense like when they when they go yes. looking back right giving you yeah. that um, that developmental history and they're filling out they're like oh you know oftentimes it's your first child and so and you don't have anyone else to compare it to but then you still feel mm-hmm. but I do want to say I mean I know professionals um even pediatricians who are in denial just watching that, you know, because they're coming, it's grieving, you're grieving, you're still trying to figure things out. And you're like, no, no, I want to give that gift of time. Um, but early intervention, early support, early therapy, all that stuff is so important because I've seen so much in terms of successful children um, going out there and doing things that are meaningful to them. They're working on the community, they're living independently, they're doing things that they want. I'm talking about moderate, you know, obviously moderate to some severe kiddos, obviously our higher functioning kids, um, you know, sometimes it's just adjusting and helping them with through, but they can, they can manage, they can live independently, they can have relationships, but you're right. I think the biggest myth is that children who have autism don't want to make friends and they do, they want to communicate, they want to have interactions. They just need to work on the ways to make those social connections and to feel comfortable and feel, um, sensory ready, you know, cause they have some of these sensory deficits So sensory ready all over, um, to be able to, um, have, uh, just to live, um, as normal of a life that they can. And I think society is doing a great, you know, better than years before um, when we talk about being an inclusive environment. I have a 16-year-old daughter who teaches adaptive dance and she's got children with CP, Down syndrome, autism. And she created this because she felt her dance studio you know, there are kids who wanted to participate, but they couldn't. So, what did she do? Modify things and, and teach it to them virtually. And I think there are a lot of um, individuals out there who are trying to make this a, a more inclusive society um, and do the best that they can to to, to bring everybody who's unique, right? Um, who wants to participate in something, and be able to do so. Your daughter must find that really fulfilling, huh? It's so fulfilling, and it's interesting because she was. Three years old, I was working as a, a school psychologist in a school setting, and and I for for kids, children, they're blank slates. Like they look at another child, they're not like, why do you look different? Who are you? And throw a label on you, right? I mean, to them, it's another. Little person just like them, right? And so they're so open. And so she used to walk into classrooms with me at the age of three when I was working and you know, I'd be working and I'd have her with me on a, you know, I'd have to go do things and I didn't have child care. I'm like, you're coming with me. Um, and um, for her, it was just you're just another buddy, you're just another friend. I mean, but you you, you know, you're you have um challenges just like I do. And so, but let's let, it's okay, you know. I accept you for who you are, and I think that's what we really need to look at to the generation beneath us to, to be more accepting and be patient and more accommodating. And, and, um, but there are, a, a, a there's more good than there is bad in this world. And I think as parents, we need to make sure we tell our children that sometimes people tend to highlight, right. Especially media. we're talking about all the things, the bad things that go on and we need to do more of, um, you know, people being good and kind and compassionate. I think if we see more of that, um, uh, that'll help um, bring us up a level.
1: I think that's great. I've never, I I was thinking I've never said that to my kids. There's more good than bad. And I'm definitely going to remember that for the next time a conversation comes up. I'm really curious about this one thing, and this would be just your opinion. Obviously no one's going to hold you to this because no one knows the answer to this, but Your opinion means so much with all the experience that you've had. Do you think the average child, uh, you know, everyone has different circumstances. So I'm just talking like in general, do you think this pandemic is going to create a generation of children who later will have PTSD, like they went through a war, you know, um, and they're gonna come out the other end with like a bunch of post-traumatic stress. Or do you think that we're gonna create a generation of really resilient kids? I know most parents wonder, right? What's gonna to happen to my child? Are they gonna come out at the end of this ready to tackle anything because they've been through a pandemic? Or <laughs> alternatively,
0: are they gonna be scared of their own shadow
1: for the rest of their
0: lives? What do you think? You know, it really does depend. I do think there's going to be some PTSD. I can tell you right now, I already see it with younger ones um, in terms of independence and autonomy. <laughs> they're used to being around their mommy and daddy or their caretaker. And then all of a sudden, we're asking them to start to slowly separate. And they're like, what? So you're having to start some of these transitions over again. Um, but I don't think it's the long term, like a war type PTSD because it's about a year. You know, we've, we, it's, it's a year. I do really believe um, we've got some resilient kiddos out there. And families and, and and what we've learned is um, how much more to appreciate life. If anything, we've learned more humility, our teens, our children. I mean, I've been having conversations on what's a privilege and what's not a privilege. And boy, have they learned already without me having, having to write anything down what a privilege it is to be able to go to a school, right? To be in a school and their third world country kiddos who don't even get to go to school or what a privilege it is to go on vacation, right? So I think... um, there is going to be a sense of more resiliency than anything of of how to deal with difficult situations because they've been forced to do it and they've had no choice. And um, and I think uh, you know I've gone around. I'm um, being very comfortable, not wearing makeup. I mean, just doing things that I'm like, you know what? Before it was like. I'm just like whatever it is it is, and um, having kids around and really getting them involved in household chores because they are around, you know, No more excuses that they have things to do. I mean, really um, not enabling children as much as um, so many of us have had to do. and um, and really um, appreciating the fact that we have them around, right? Because whether you've got kids who are about to go to college or who've been home from college and they're in front of a screen, you know, online learning to your little ones, who were supposed to go to kindergarten or were supposed to go to first grade and then you got to have them home for a little bit longer. I think, um, we appreciate that more. So that's a great, great question. Um, Samara, I, I really, um, I think,
2: uh, uh,
0: yeah, we're all going to bounce back.
2: Yeah. I think I, I, I totally agree with you. I think kids are way uh, more resilient than sometimes we give them credit for and oftentimes if we pay attention they really do teach us a lot um, <laughs> they really do so i think that's what drew us to pediatrics is because you really do get inspired on the on the daily with um how resilient they can be so i love that answer um but i just had a, a quick question we can talk to you for hours and <laughs> we're gonna be respectful of your time but um as for the parents that have children Children struggling with mental health disorders or, or children that have anxiety or depression during this time. Um, what do you tell parents on what signs they can look for uh, when it's just, you know, the teenage blues, the, the normal teenage ups and downs uh, that come along with this with this type of, uh, with this age, um, versus when they really should be concerned. And I was just curious if you had any tips for resources for parents when they are struggling with a teenager or preteen or younger child, that's uh, potentially suffering from some of these symptoms.
0: Yeah, that's an important question. It's so, so important. So what I've been doing during this pandemic is I, I have a heightened sense of, um, just check it, check in. So my, I do like a two, a two week, if you feel like your child is presenting with certain symptoms and I'll, I'll talk about some of that for a two week period, straight, um, pervasive across the board, um, I want you to look into it further. I mean, check in whether you want to have a consult televisit with a with your primary, if you want to connect with um, your community, if you want to um, make sure you check in with your child. Um, at, you know, connect with someone, check in with your child. Just make sure, um, because don't just be like, "Oh, it's 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 something, um, no big deal." They're going through a rut um, because of the moment in time we're in. I want you to check in. And then um, you're going to see a sense of withdrawal. You're going to see of um, things that typically um, your child is motivated to do. They start to withdraw from. Not really, eh, I don't want to do it. You're really finding yourself struggling to get them to do it. Um, maybe they're having difficulty sleeping or they're sleeping too much. They're, they're all of a sudden sleeping a lot more than you expected them to. Um, and then um, typical fears that they wouldn't be afraid of, they're starting to present with. Um, starting to stress out about an exam. Um, starting to stress out about... Um, will, Things that are happening on social media, or um, even the change in their appearance. I mean, you're starting to see them either, um, you know, start to not pay attention in terms of self hygiene or what they want to wear and not being excited about the things that they used to be excited about. And just, around with your siblings, family connection, are they isolated in their room for long periods of time? One of the things I started to do, if, if I tell a parent immediately, no, no one shuts their door, you know, your door's open, come out, uh, get in bed rules, 20 minutes on a screen, 20 minutes outside. I mean, you start to do things to get them up and moving because um, you've got to watch them. I mean, they're here with us and and no one else. And, and we just have to check in and, And, um, depression and anxiety is there and. I know sometimes um, we're afraid for the types of treatments out there, and I'm a professional, I'm a psychologist. I always say, let's try um, a variety of things, but the basics are, are they eating right? Are they sleeping enough? Are they stepping away from social media? Um, Are they making connections, doing the things that they enjoy um, doing? Those are the exercising. Those are the just general things we want. You know, As a physician, we would say, start doing, and then um, let's look at behavioral therapy. Do we need to connect them with a Counselor, do we need to look at some medication potentially? Um, and nothing is a forever. I, you know, you guys probably say this all the time. Nothing is a forever. I think that's the biggest fear parents have is is my child going to be codependent on any of this? Will they get through this? And I yes, they will get through this once things come back into place. So if your child has to need support because of um, whether it's dysthymia, just a period of time, depression, a longer period of time, anxiety, um, whether they have a, a diagnosis or not, um, they can get through it. It's not a forever. It's we have to understand what has been taken away from them. Um, but once we start to implement some of that um, back in, um, sports are picking up again, outdoor activities and safe environments are picking up again. I'm already seeing kids starting to feel a little bit like themselves. Um, the potential of next year being able to have a prom. I mean, my daughter was excited just about that. And so I think that, um, excitement, um, is, is, is hope, um, is, is coming there. And I think we as parents need to find ways to, um, provide them with some hope. So it's not, you know, doom and gloom the whole time.
1: I love it. Yeah. Focus on what you do have. And then also, you know, make sure that they're getting her out and about, and they're still doing things, and give them that hope for the future that this isn't going to be forever. And I really like that you said the twenty-minute screen time and twenty-minute outside time. I say I say that to my patients too; that it should be actually like a earned thing. I say it backwards. I say if they do twenty minutes, then they can come in and do twenty
0: minutes of their screen. Time. Oh, I love it! Yeah, it has to be contingent, and <laughs> um, and obviously, if they are bigger red flags, I mean, we all know this, but um, if they've got uh, threats or fears or talking if they want to do any type of harm or anything to themselves. Um, you It's just the National Suicide Helpline. It, it, it's, it's okay. Just reach out. Um, just don't wait. Um, um, but many professionals are there. Um, my resource, as for resources, I mean, there's so much. I'm a big believer and, um, and just kind of uh, not fix, you know, we talk about this kind of, you um, f- Wow. the Big Life Journal is one of my favorite um, resources because it has activities for youngsters and they actually have a book out for teens um, because they're exercises, they're activities that kids can do to help with like flex- flexible flexible thinking. And um, the other... Um, tip um I want parents to know is um find things and activities. There's emotion feeling cards that are out there, um, conversation starters that are out there, um, games um, that uh, talk about feelings and mood and, and hypothetical situations that, that come up. And so working on ways to problem solve, um just having those conversations, having those open dialogues um And with just kind of that whole no judgment and really getting perspective teaches kids a lot about just critical thinking and what to do in a scenario, a situation, um, I think. And then create a family mission statement. I mean, that's the last thing I think I can leave you guys with is um, one of the things that I do, and we have it in our family, is... What are our values? What are our fallbacks? What do do we believe in? What do we want to contribute to? And put that two, three sentences on a family mission statement. I've got mine up um, on my Instagram page if you want an idea. But my daughter, it's interesting. She's about 13 or 14. She says, you know, I was having some trouble at school socially with some friends and it it was bothering me. I didn't know how to handle it. And she says, I really reflected back on our family mission statement to get me through and how to problem solve and decide what I needed to like the action I needed to take. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is exactly what, what I've always wanted. I've never (laughs) talked to you about that. And so I think, um, and we all created it together. It was something we all did together. So that was, there was the buy-in. So um, create something like that, a safe foundation, uh, something that just like a company CEO would do, uh, you know, a universal mission statement, make one for your family. Um, I Mm -hmm. highly recommend that.
2: I love that so much. I think everybody needs a mission statement. Personally, as a family, yeah. that's a great one. I'm totally going to recommend that to all my families now. I love that so much. And just while you were talking, I thought about a patient case that I just had the other day, and and this was a teenager, and she actually had been um, home doing virtual learning, and she was doing great. Her grades were were wonderful, and you know, talking to her more as she spent more time at home, uh, mom kind of realized that she had a lot. Of anxiety um, when she was at school. So it was like constant thoughts going through her head, uh, transitions, new teachers, new environments in school. And so Um, When you were talking about anxiety, it really made me think of this particular case because anything that is causing them to uh, interfering with their life, right? Um, Mm -hmm. When it gets to the point where it's interfering with your relationships, your family, your schoolwork, um, whatever that mission statement is, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's interfering with that goal and that mission, that's when I think it's time to reach out for help because we all go through ups and downs on the daily right? We all get all kinds of emotions, but when it starts to take over and prevent us from doing the things we want to. Yeah. I the things that we
0: love. Yeah. yeah. If it starts to interfere. Exactly. And, and I love how you to that because not all children, I mean, some people have this fear of just having to be in public or having to make these transitions or having to speak. I mean, people don't even realize, I mean, it takes a lot of guts, right? To be, to be able to speak mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's, it's okay. But we if we can alleviate, I mean, that's the first thing you want to do. If you can identify what it is that's causing the anxiety, causing the stress, causing the worries and make adjustments that way, please do it. You know, parents, not, not all children are the same. They're not always going to be like you do what it is that they need. Um, and if they can articulate that to you, kudos please praise them for being able to do that because doesn't it take a lot to be able to say I'm scared of or I'm upset about or I'm worried about I think they need to be praised and 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 told that that's a huge step
2: totally
1: well as Anna said we could probably talk to you till tomorrow but we will be mindful of your time can you tell our viewers where they can find you and if you have any imparting last words
0: Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Reena, R-E-E-N-A, B Patel. And my website is www.reenabpatel.com. I enjoyed our time, loved our conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was absolutely wonderful having you. You are a world
1: of wisdom and you gave our audience so much to think about and us too, which, which says a lot. So thank you again. And we hope we can have you back again in the future. Yes, we'd
2: love to. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any facts.